Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson, and I'm very excited for our mentor this month, Steve Gross, who has a master's hey, in Hey, what's up, work. Steve? Steve, good to be with you. Two Steves here today, and uh, I'm going to give everybody a little bit of context. This is really a, a neat meeting here. I met uh, Steve Gross with our work that we do uh, in conjunction with uh, Garth Brooks Teammates for Kids Foundation. And as everyone in the Crown Council knows, one of our Smiles for Life projects is the child life zones that we build in children's hospitals all over the country. And we recently had all of the zone directors, child life directors from all over the country together for a couple of days of training. And Steve Gross was part of that event and had a huge impact on the group. And we saw a lot of relevance to what we do in dentistry. So let me give you just a little bit of background on Steve. Steve is the founder of the Life is Good Kids Foundation. Now, everybody's familiar with Life is Good, the brand, uh, the t-shirt brand, and uh, that is where uh, that's part of the origin of the Life is Good Kids Foundation. And uh, he, is, he also calls himself the chief playmaker of the uh, Life is Good Kids Foundation, which we'll find out about that. So the foundation, obviously, a nonprofit that partners with leading child care organizations like uh, Child Life Zones that we talked about to impact the quality of care delivered to the most vulnerable children. So Steve's a leader in the field of psychological trauma response and really a pioneer in utilizing playful engagement and meaningful relationships to overcome devastating impacts that uh, trauma can have on kids. So. Uh, this will have some, some, obviously, some child overtones, but we're also going to talk about universal application here. So um, here, here's what might be of interest to everybody. Steve has been involved uh, and called on to respond to some of the biggest catastrophes in, in our time, including the devastation and, and in personal impact caused by Hurricane Katrina, uh, earthquakes in Haiti and Japan, and the 2012 Newton School shooting. And so at the heart of his work, Steve helps people discover the power of optimism so that they can build resilience and joy in their lives and have the courage and the creativity to move forward. So Steve, I am excited to spend a few minutes together here this morning, and thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. Really appreciate you, uh, you giving me this opportunity. So for starters, share with us a little bit about the Life is Good Kids Foundation, where it came from, how it ties into the clothing brand. Sure. Uh, give us the origin. Sure. Well, so Life is Good, the for-profit, and Life is Good, the not-for-profit, we have the same mission. Um, we just do different things in order to work towards that mission. We are an integrated company, for-profit, and not-for-profit, and the mission is really simple. It's to spread the power of optimism. And, you know, we can go in a little bit more detail about what that means, but the clothing brand and the lifestyle brand does it through creating original artwork, pairing it with simple wisdom about life, um, and using product and brand to bring together a community of optimists who are, you know, really interested in growing the good in the world and making the world a better place. The not-for-profit, our group, um, we have the same, same mission. We, we go about it a little bit differently. Our focus is making sure that all children 
you know, get to grow up to believe that life is good. And that includes children whose lives have been deeply impacted by illness, poverty, violence. And the way that we do that is by supporting the frontline men and women who dedicate their lives to helping children heal. And so that's where the child life zones, whether they're child life specialists, social workers, psychologists, early childhood educators, but the men and women who dedicate their lives to working with kids so the kids can grow up and have a good life. And, you know, the, the big premise, one of the big premises is, and I think the work is very relevant to anyone in the world because we focus on you cannot spread what you do not have. And so if you go every day and you're interacting with people, especially children, but children and adults who are frightened, who are overwhelmed, who are anxious, who are having a tough time, well, if you want to instill a sense of joy or connection or inspiration or confidence, those things you have to transmit from yourself. They're more caught than they are taught. And so if you want to share joy with somebody and help somebody to find a sense of joy, well, you've got to be a pretty joyful character. You know, if you want someone to be inspired, you've got to be a pretty inspired character. And so, you know, our focus on helping care providers bring their best selves to their work um, is really at the forefront of what we do. So I think everybody thinks they know what optimism is and what an optimist is. I got a totally different take on that from you when we met recently. So maybe yeah. if we can take the, the word off the table, because everybody thinks sure. they know, they, they put it in a nice little convenient category and dismiss it. And can you recast it for us in absolutely. terms of the, what you guys teach? Well, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, the one, the, the one optimist test that people share is they, they take the glass, they put it on the table, they fill it halfway with liquid, and they say, is this glass half full or is it half empty? And if you say it's half full, then everyone kind of applauds you and tells you, yay, you're an optimist. And if you say it's half empty, they go, oh, come on, I don't want to invite this character to a party. Um, right. And it's almost, like, it's almost like you did something wrong. And, and I think it's, it's a fairly ridiculous measurement. Um, yeah. I think every human being who's alive today is, is, is an optimist. It's just there's different degrees and there's an entire spectrum. So you couldn't survive and you couldn't be alive if you didn't have any sense of optimism in you. And in the same hand, even a person who is incredibly optimistic is going to have moments where they're cynical about something or where, you know, they're seeing the issues. So I'm going to really simplify it. And our, our most simple definition of an optimist is somebody who is able to see the good. That's it. That doesn't mean you don't see the bad. It doesn't mean you don't see the challenge. It doesn't mean you don't see the fear or the pain. But are you able to see the good? And I also flesh that out to say, see the good in yourself, to see the good in other people, and to see the good in the world and the situations that are around you. Now, if you can't see the good, you're operating from a real disadvantage. And again, I'm not saying that you're ignoring and living in, in a state of denial. It's just that ability to see it. Now, the next kind of level and what we try to work towards is once you're able to see the good in yourself and others in the world around you, are you able to focus on that good? You know, in difficult times, when you have difficult relationships, do you lose focus of the good in the other person? 
do you lose focus in the good in yourself? When the world starts to kind of get challenging, do you lose focus in what's good about your situation or the world around you? And then the final piece of that, of being an optimist, is are you able to leverage that good to make things better, to make things better for yourself, to make things better for other people, and to make things better for the world around you? I think the misconception for folks is optimism is, you know, that at some time it's just a future thing, like things are going to be okay. It's passive. It's denial, like, hey, you know what, I'm going to deny all the challenges and just say, hey, everything's going to be okay. And that's not what it's about. You have to see the challenges. But if you don't see the solutions, if you don't see the opportunities within the obstacles, then life gets really, really difficult. Um, and so really being an optimist is about being able to see the good, to being able to focus on the good, and to be able to grow the good. Okay, so can we take that principle and go real-time for a minute? <clears throat> Absolutely, man. I love real-time. Can we, can we go to New Orleans and Katrina and the devastation? You're in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. and, and so give us a characterize for us what you did in that situation with people whose everything that they had pretty much was, had been wiped out. And you're sure. now going to tell me to find the good in all that? So you've got to yeah. walk so, me through how, how did it apply in that specific situation? Sure. Well, I, I'm going to go specific, but I'm also going to go a little bit general. And I want to you know, just kind of correct a couple of, couple of things. So number one, um, we did some emergency response in Katrina. Um, and we also do most of the time, I mean, the Life is Good Kids Foundation is no longer focuses on acute traumatic stress response. So the idea of like when somebody loses everything, you don't walk into their place and say, hey, let's look on the bright side. You don't right. think, well, you can do that, but you're probably going to get punched in the mouth or you're not going <laughs> right. to establish a relationship. So, I mean, one of the first things that we do in situations like that and at best practices is something that's just called psychological first aid where you come into a situation and you help meet immediate needs of people. So you help to the time to start reflecting and, and doing kind of this, you know, in, in the beginnings of any traumatic stress response or any, you know, trauma situation, it's immediate safety and stabilization. So the first thing that you're doing is getting people to safety. You're helping people to get safe. And then you're saying, oh, I lost everything. I don't have any clothes. Well, okay, let's get you some clothes. Hey, let's, um, where are we going to live? Who do you need to contact? Oh, let's help you connect with another person right now. Okay, you don't know where your brother is? Let's help you find your brother. Let's help you get some clothes. Let's help figure out where you and your kids are going to stay. You know, you have to address those immediate needs. And by doing so, you're not saying, you know, to see and focus on the good, but you're accessing and connecting people with resources. And then they go, oh, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad I have a warm shirt. Well, guess what? You just saw the good. Oh, thank you. I'm so hungry. I appreciate this meal. Great. You were just able to see the good. See, we say a lot of times when, you know, I'll use an example of the Boston Marathon bombings and talking with kids and, and this idea of being able to, you know, see the good. Well, how do you see the good in a, in a bombing? Well, with kids, you can say when you look at pictures and you look at certain things, you say, look at all the helpers. 
You know, there were two, you know, you could argue and say there was some conspiracy. Maybe let's give, let's give the benefit of the doubt. Let's say there were five people involved in the Boston Marathon bombers. How many first responders rushed in? How many people who were right there took off their shirts and made tourniquets and ran in and ran to the danger zone to help people? How many people donated money? How many people worked tirelessly in emergency rooms to help people who lost limbs or to save lives? How many people donated money to help to buy artificial limbs or to help people heal and build back some of what they lost? For every perpetrator of bad, and I'm going to just go with the good and bad because I know it's ultra-simplistic, but for every source of darkness, there are usually, and this is just the facts, there are usually 10 times or more more sources of light. And so when I talk to kids after a terrible thing has happened, we start to say, let's look for the helpers. Now, you don't mitigate and say that the other thing, you know, you have to also acknowledge um, the pain that people are experiencing. So, you know, in a situation, and then afterwards, in a situation, you know, our work after is how do we help kids to play again? How do we help kids to feel safe and comfortable enough so that they can engage in the present moment, they can find a sense of joy, they can feel connected with other human beings, and they begin to have fun again. And when you begin to have fun again, you begin to explore more. And when you begin to explore more, you start feeling more capable and confident, and you begin to heal. So you never go into a situation. This is the other thing about optimists. You know, like, they can be obnoxious. You know, like, hey, cheer up. You don't tell people to cheer up. <laughs> when, when, when somebody says to cheer up to me if I'm down, what they're saying to me in some kind of way is, you're not acceptable to me in the state that you're currently in. You meet people where they are. You ask them how they're doing. You ask them what they need. You try to be a support, as supportive as you can and meet immediate needs. And then people will begin to cheer up. And sometimes people take a long, 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 long time. And so if you don't necessarily tell them to see the good, you make sure you show them the good. So take me into the workplace now. I mean, I could, and I appreciate the, the Katrina example because that is so, I mean, that, that resonates in terms of focus on what people need, give well, them, can, can I, give yeah, them hope, can, right? Well, absolutely. And can I, can I just say one thing too? Um, one of my favorite phrases um, and it was something is that, you know, outstanding human services, and, and I would say dentistry is definitely a human service. Outstanding yeah. human services require outstanding humans. That's it. Now, it doesn't, you know, whenever, no matter what you do in the world, and let's take dentistry, you need to have two things to be what I call a playmaker. And, and by the way, playmaker, the term the origin of the word playmaker came from sports where you say a playmaker is somebody who when the game is on the line, you want the ball in their hands because they're going to make something good happen. Got it. Well, okay. well a, play, a playmaker in the world is, you know, at pivotal times in people's lives, you're able to make a positive impact that, that changes the game for them. So a playmaker, you know, a little boy or a little girl who comes to the dentist for the first time or the second time or the third time is really nervous and a playmaker comes in, and at that time when they're nervous, helps to calm them, helps to treat them, helps to take care of their teeth. That's a playmaker. Um, it's really about somebody who's able to grow the good in a person's life. Now, 
in, in a, for a, a, a dentist who's a playmaker, you need two things. Number one, you need an amazing professional skill set. I mean, no, people can't fake being a dentist. People can fake being a lot of things, but you're going to get shown up real quick if you try to fake being a dentist. The skill set yep, that yep. you guys yeah. have, the, the you'll, end up, you you'll, you'll have. end up with a new, a new residence if you do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they put you in so, jail for that. Well, and, you know, the other thing is it's not something you can just pick up. You know, certain things you go, hey, I can try that. I can have to try my hand at it. You don't just go and try your hand at dentistry. You train, you go to school, you do a tremendous amount of work, and then you're this tiny, tiny minority in the world who is skilled enough to be a dentist. That's your professional skill set, and that's really important. But then the next thing is, what about your personal disposition? Are you loving? Are you compassionate? Are you fun? Are you authentic? Are you inspired? Are you patient? Are you kind? You know, those things are your disposition. When you take an outstanding disposition and you pair it with an outstanding professional skill set, well, then you have a work of art. But now, if you have a great professional skill set but your disposition is lousy, well, there's a lot of people that you're never going to be able to reach. In the same hand, if you have an amazing disposition but your skill set is lousy, people may like you, but their teeth aren't going to get any better and they're going to end up being in a lot of pain. To be a playmaker in the world, especially as a professional, you need an outstanding professional skill set, and you need to cultivate your optimal disposition for engaging with other human beings. And so all things being equal, we want to spend time with people who make us feel comfortable, who help us to feel safe, who empower us, who inspire us, who are pleasant to be around, who are fun, who understand how to use humor, who understand, you know, how to calm people down or to read how people are doing. And so even with this Katrina, with psychological first aid, if you were to take a training on psychological first aid, you'd go, this is so intuitive. This is just about being a good person. If your neighbor walked into your house after something terrible happened, you'd probably do psychological first aid. You'd ask them to sit down. You'd ask them what they need. You'd ask them if there's anyone, you know, that they want to reach out to that can help them feel more connected. You'd say, what's the biggest thing on your mind and how, how can I help you? Can I give you a ride? Can I give you this? Human beings don't necessarily need to go to school to learn how to respond in a way that elevates people. That's about tapping into our best of humanity. And, and that's really all of our, you know, it, it's, it's, if you're in the human service, and that's part of your job, to be the best human you can be. Um, and it's, it's not always easy. Because there's times we feel impatient. There's times where we feel angry. There's times where we feel uninspired. So how do we cultivate a practice that allows us to bring our best selves to work? And again, that it's not all puppies and kittens and, you know, it, it's not this light thing. We're humans. We're going to get in bad moods. But how do we cultivate a practice that allows, uh, allows us more often than not to bring our best selves to every situation, no matter how difficult those situations are? All right. So... Uh, let me give you a context in, sure. in a work environment that has to do with this. And I call it a mindset. I, I hope that's okay. Is, is that yeah, optimism? Dude, you can call it whatever I, you want, man. Yeah. I, I, I believe it's a choice. So we did an exercise when we were together. And I, I hope I'm yeah. not preempting anything. But 
But we did an exercise where you had everybody stand up and you kind of showed a continuum in the room and you asked everybody to stand in the part of the room where they felt they were on the optimism scale. Yes. And, um, and I had a, an interesting reaction to that because, you know, most everybody kind of gravitated toward that, you know, I'm optimistic because that's a socially acceptable thing. And if you'll recall, I kind of stood on the other side of the room. Yep. <laughs> Do you remember that? Absolutely. Because my, my take on it was I don't see everything as rosy. And I think a lot of people that are listening to this going, man, optimists, you know, all they see is the kittens and the butterflies and the balloons. Whereas my mindset typically I find is I can see clearly where all the problems are and where all the issues are. And in my mind, those are the opportunities to go in and make a difference and mm-hmm. fill a need and <clears throat> do something. But I got a pretty big radar on what's wrong, you know, where, where the gaps are not. Everything's wonderful, you know. And so, so can, you, can yeah. you talk about the difference between that? Because sure. I think this is where optimism turns a lot of people off if they go, yeah. Well, I thought, I, okay, so I, I, I was going to try to say it again, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not I'm – not, Believe me, I'm not chastising you, Steve, at all, but I want to repeat it because I think we're so conditioned to this that even though what I said earlier was it doesn't mean you don't see the bad. It doesn't mean you don't see all the problems. It's that right. you never lose focus on the possibilities and the opportunities. So I sometimes joke and say there are people who say, you know, the glass is half empty. There's some who say the glass is half full. There are some on the other spectrum that say, I'm just grateful to have a glass and on the lower part of the spectrum, there's people who say, hey, wait a minute, there's spots on my glass. And you stood in the pot and said, hey, wait a minute, there's spots on my glass. And you know what? We need people who see the spots on the glass. Now, but if, 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 if all you can see are the spots and you're missing the fact that you've got a glass and you're missing the fact that you've got some clean water in that glass and you're missing the fact that you have a team that's capable of removing the spots from the glass, then you're in trouble. Just seeing the spots on the glass, good for you. I don't want to drink water from spots that are on the glass all over. Who knows what those spots are? <laughs> You're right. But what, you ha- what, 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 what I would look at is to say with you and ask you, are you still able to see the good in that glass? Are you still able to see the, the function that it serves? Are you still able to have gratitude for the fact that you have a glass? Are you, still, are you, are you able to focus and have gratitude for the fact that you're capable of even seeing or that you have the resources to clean that glass. And, and so don't worry about the fact that, of what you're seeing. We need people to see the spots on the glass. We need people to see the problems. We need people to see the injustice and the pain. Now, what we don't need is people who can only see those things and don't, aren't open enough to see the potential and to figure out the solutions. Yeah, and so, okay, so, so I, I, would, be, I would need to... I need to remember glass is good. Yeah, man. And, 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 and I try to tell, well, and, and that, that other piece is that um, this is not, you know, a lot of people who look at me and they get into the same thing. So they go, yo, man, I'm not an optimist. I'm a realist. And I say, yeah. cool. So tell, tell me what's really going on. Now, for every, you know, even when you look at, so look at, look at you know, race issues in America. Do we have a problem? Of course. So I'm a realist. So what does that mean? Are you a realist? Are you seeing that it's all a problem? You don't see that anyone's doing anything to try to make justice for all? 
Do you know how many thousands and thousands of people are out doing their thing to ensure that people are treated equally, you know, in the eyes of the law? Do we have problems? Absolutely. An optimist doesn't go, hey, everything's rosy. But an optimist says, yeah, we got problems. But guess what? There's also a lot of good. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of good people. There's a lot of things already in motion. What am I going to do to be able to help to leverage that good to address this issue and make things better? Optimism is not soft. And you wouldn't be – you're an optimist. You can't help it. Now, maybe by a different definition, but, you know, because you – because someone else might say, well, you're always looking at the problems. And, and I would also say that if you're always looking at the problems and you're always seeing the problems, it's a good exercise to then say, well, let me look at it from, from you know, a strengths-oriented piece as well. What are, some of the, what are some of the pros? What are some of the resources? I'll tell you, we do this thing, and I think it's great for, an, for, for anyone. We call it the hats. And I, we learned it from a, a really cool guy um, I don't know where he got it. His name is BJ Bueno. He's a marketing pro. And, and whenever you look at a situation like, should I open another practice? You know, let's say, you get, should I open a, another practice? You, you look at, there's many hats. You have a white hat. The white hat is, let's look at this objectively. How much will it cost? What's the demographics? What are all the research? You know, you look at all, the white hat is your statistics. And then you look at the yellow hat. What are all the reasons why you should? What are all the, the bright side of it? What are all the pros of doing this? And then you look at the black hat. Why won't this work? What are all the problems? What are all the challenges? What are all the spots on the glass? And then you look at it from a red hat. A red hat is emotion. What is your gut telling you? I don't know why. I just want to go for it. Okay, that's your red hat. And then the green hat is like, what are some creative solutions to some of the challenges? How can you look at this thing differently? Now, when you get all of those perspectives where you've seen the black hat, you know the challenges, you know the possibilities and the pros, you understand your emotion, you understand the facts, well, then you can make a good decision. See, if you only make it from a black hat decision, if I just showed you the black hat data on anything, you'd say, don't try it. It's going to fail. And so, you know, it's, it's great to see the spots on the glass, what I would say is if you only see the spots on the glass, you better be a part of a really good team who can counteract that. Because if you only see the spots on the glass, you're never going to do anything creative. Got it. So just, and I appreciate you bringing that up. So, so point of reference um, for, for our group. So the six thinking hats, which is what that is called, um, yes. is, the, is the work of Edra, Edward de Bono. Um, and we've actually done a piece on that at one of our awesome. annual events and trained the everybody's very familiar and I appreciate the reinforcement because it is a, it is a great great tool. Um, all right, so let me give you a real time real uh, live example that everyone listening deals with on a regular basis. It is yep. first thing in the morning, and the the whole team is is walking into the morning meeting to get organized for the day. And as we get started, the appointment coordinator walks in and says, you know, I just picked up the messages. We've already had three cancellations this morning. Uh, major case just canceled. Can't make it in. And, um, you know, we, we have a spotty schedule, and it's a disaster. You know, this day is starting out as a disaster from a patient care standpoint. 
Okay, so that's, mm-hmm. that's the reality that we're faced with at the beginning of the day. So yep. uh, with the balanced approach that you have, uh, you have presented here, if you, Steve, were the leader of that team, then what would you say to your team? Just general context, the clinical side, you don't need to know that, but just generally, you're leading a team that is now faced with, first thing in the morning, some pretty daunting odds of having a successful day. So how are you sure. going to address the team? Well, okay. So, you know, I think one of those things as a leader is, and I'm going to make some things kind of understood. So, you know, again, understood that these are, these are situations, but what is the overall culture in your organization? So this is a day-to-day yes. situation, a blip. But what is the, do people come in, do they feel connected? Do they feel part of a team? Do they feel that their voice is heard? Do they feel that they have colleagues who like and care for them? Do they like what they do? Do they feel, you know, a real sense of engagement in what they do? Um, and so we always look at that as like, you know, this, this idea of organizational optimism. Is the group that's coming into that room, are they people who believe that their work is meaningful and they take pleasure in their work? Do they feel that they are safe and empowered and valued in the organization? Do they feel engaged and inspired by the work that they do, and do they feel like they're part of a team? Okay, so, so that's a different baseline. Now, I'll tell you, if they don't feel that, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do in that moment. It's kind of like the pep talk, you know, before, or the halftime speech at a football game. You know, the halftime speeches and great pep talks don't win the game. It's having an infrastructure and a solid – you know, it's the blocking and tackling every day. So I'm just going to put that as a disclaimer. The other thing I would say is to really be careful of words. It's not a disaster. It's a disaster if, you know, if somebody got into a car accident on the way to work and, and died. It's a disaster if there's a fire in the building. You know, it, there are disasters, and then there are challenges which require creative thinking. So if I come in and say, yeah, it's a total disaster, this cancellation, that cancellation, as opposed to me coming and say, okay, so let me give you guys the skinny for the day. We got three cancellations and we got this thing, which means, um, you know, and I don't know what that means in your practice, but for us it would mean, like let's say I was going to do, we're going to do consultation and coaching. And so I'll go to my environment and say, hey, you know, all the coaching calls that we had and all the consultation, they're not showing up. We have a workshop that was scheduled that got postponed because the organization can't do it. So here's the thing. Guess what? Good news. We got 12 hours that we didn't, you know, we all have some extra time on our schedule that we didn't anticipate having. So how do we want to use this time? Um, ideas. You know, I might have some ideas. People might say, hey, you know what? If, you got, if, we, if we have this stuff going on, I almost took a sick day anyway. I'm not doing so well. I'd love to just use this as a personal day. Okay, great. What else can we do? You know, it's about, you know, with all those things, there, again, there's an issue. So on, on the, you know, maybe there's a revenue factor now, income's not coming in, we scheduled a certain way. But now how do we turn that into an opportunity? And how do we then look, you know, longer term to say, are there things that we could be doing from a creative, from an organization, from a scheduling, from a structure standpoint, so that these things don't happen again? Um, but if I come in and go, oh, it's a disaster, this happened and this happened, well, that's contagious. You know, I, I always go, hey, the good news, man, we're all here. 
Good news, you all made it to work safely. Good news, you still got to practice. Here's the, you know, here's, here's the not so good news, that our day got has it. changed. And that's what, you know, this is like, you know, there's a great, one of my favorite quotes, and by the way, if you talk to me long enough, you'll hear me say one of my favorite quotes 27 times, and they're all one of my favorite <laughs> quotes. But, I get you. But this, this one is, you know, we can't control the waves, but we can learn how to surf. Waves are going to hit us all the time. If that's a disaster, then disaster is going to happen every day. You're going to burn the dinner. You know, you're going to show up and, you know, to, on your vacation to the theme park, and the theme park's going to be closed. You know, you're going to have incredible plans, and they're going to break down and fall through. And some things will be disasters with a capital D. Some will be disasters with a small d. Let's keep things in perspective. And then once we get over that disappointment, and not to, you know, don't say, hey, everything's great. Hey, this is kind of tough for us. We're going to lose revenue today. We're going to lose this. We've, you know, this is a big inconvenience for us, but let's deal with that. Maybe take a break. You know, I might give that news and say, okay, listen, I got some news. It's get, depending on what the news is, going to be tough. Here's the news. Let's take 10 minutes to kind of get ourselves together and deal with that disappointment and grab a cup of coffee or something like this, and then let's get back together and figure out what we're going to do about this. You know, think about that in any situation in life. Do you want to come in at halftime when you're losing by three touchdowns and have a coach who's like, this is a disaster, and screaming and yelling? Or to say, okay, man, we're down by three, but we got them right where we want them. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and, and it's an attitude. And, you know, I think that leaders who can, in a real way, not to gloss over what the problem is, but leaders who are able to get people to calm down and to keep a clear head and then to come up with solutions. And sometimes these disasters turn out to be the best thing that could happen to an organization because it it forces us to think more creatively. And that's where, again, uh, you know, optimists tend to see the world in terms of opportunities where I would say more cynical folks and pessimists, if I were to label that, see the world in terms of obstacles. And they want to throw their hands up and just give up because life is going to give you a boatload of obstacles. That's just part of what it is. All right. So as you know, our mission at the Crown Council is to create a culture of success. And this has been a this is a huge part of it. What the, you know, just the whole attitude and, and principle that you've presented here. So as we wrap up, Steve, can you share with us? Uh, if I'm finishing up listening to this, um, this program today, what are the biggest takeaways that I, as a leader of an organization or a team member, can do today to help contribute to continue to build a culture of success that has, you know, clearly uh, exemplifies the principle of optimism that you're talking about today? What do I do today? Well, I think that, so I think one of the first things you do is it, if you want to, and again, I think this, you said, you said optimism is a choice. And, um, and I've heard people talk about happiness being a choice. And, and, and the answer is yes, you're right. And so there are some things that are not a choice. So you don't necessarily have a choice of all the circumstances that you're going to go through in your life. You don't have a choice of, if you lose your significant other in, a, in an accident or your child is diagnosed with a terrible disease or you lose your job, certain things in life, those are called, you know, our circumstances are not choices. The other thing you don't have a choice over is your genetic predisposition. 
So some people are born more optimistic than others. Some people have had circumstances in their life that would test, you know, anyone's level of optimism. The good news is that a lot of it is a choice. So positive psychologist Martin Seligman, you know, and I don't know if the numbers are accurate, and I don't dove that deep into the, the research, just enough to understand the basics. But and when I say I dove into the research, I don't look too much at stats and numbers because I, I don't know and there, there can be discrepancies. But all in agreement is that about 50% of a person's disposition is genetic. Some people are just born more positive than others. Some people are born more creative than others. I mean, it's just the way it is. Some people are born and they're going to grow up to be 6 feet 5, and some people are going to be 4 feet 11. Um, so you have a predisposition. And then the other piece is that we have circumstances, which is actually a much lower predictor of a person's happiness or optimism. So people tend to think, like, if you have a lot of money, you're going to be happier. It's not true. If you win the lottery, you're going to be happier. It's not true. If um, you had a catastrophic you know, illness and you had to lose a limb, you're going to be devastated for the rest of your life. It's not true. Circumstances, people are pretty hardy to circumstances, and it usually makes up about a 10% factor. So that leaves 40%. 40% of a person's general happiness or optimism is based on the intentional activities that they choose to do. It is about making those choices. And so the first thing I would say is when you come here to say, if you say to yourself, hey, disposition matters, and I want to be a happier, more optimistic person, that my personal happiness and my personal vibe or disposition is important, and I'm going to cultivate it, well, you just had the intentionality. You're, you're on the road. Just like the person who says, you know what, I want to stop smoking. Or, hey, you know what, I want to lose 15 pounds. It starts with an intention. So if your intention is I want to cultivate my best self, then beautiful. That's intention piece number one. The next thing is to think about, and I'm going to give four categories. We look at these four categories. One is joy and joyfulness. The second one is social connection. The third one is what we call internal control, which is a sense of safety and empowerment and self-worth. And the fourth one is active engagement, which is about being inspired and being engaged. I would ask myself four questions. What can I do to bring more joy into my life? And actually spend some time creating a plan that says, how am I going to bring more joy in my life? Now, that's a very personal thing. It might be, you know, hey, I have to get out in nature more. Hey, I have to, you know, I love to fish and I never go fishing. Hey, I used to be an actor. I want to take a community theater class. Whatever it is. Social connection. Who am I going to play with? Who am I going to connect with? Who are the people that when I'm around, I feel better about myself in the world? And let me make a plan to reach out to them and get to them, even though life is busy. Internal control. What are the things I'm going to do to keep myself feeling strong and balanced? Do I have to get back into my spiritual practices? Do I have to see my primary care physician? Do I have to get more sleep? Do I have to eat better? Okay, and then active engagement. What am I going to do to keep myself inspired and engaged? Am I going to try some new things? Am I going to have some adventures? Am I going to take a course? Am I going to continue to learn? These areas, these intentional activities can change the quality of your life dramatically, even doing one of them. I mean, my wife and I recently just said, you know, very basic thing for internal control was we've got to get more sleep. We've been reading over and over again about sleep debt and what not getting enough sleep does to the body and the spirit. And so we're making this commitment. It's not easy always to, in, to integrate, but we're getting more sleep. And I'm already noticing a difference. That's one thing. So if you want to, if life is too over, pick one thing. There's certain people in my life that when I spend time with them, 
I feel so elevated for days. Yet because I'm busy and I have three kids, man, I may not see them all but once a year. So maybe I have to be more intentional. And, and so this idea of being intentional about cultivating this, you, you t- talked about what was it, good life or living good, what was the term you used? Steve, do you remember? I'm trying to think that the oh, in terms of creating a culture of success or yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Well, so so define what does success look like to you? Right. You know, and, and, and so if success is if there's a piece of success which it should be around happiness and fulfillment and joy and good relationships and and wellness, well, then you have to make a real plan for that kind of stuff. Yes. And a lot of times we say, you know, those are things that we think of as, you know, they're kind of like extras. Sure. Um, but you have to build it into your schedule. I know that if I go to the gym and I go to the gym on a regular basis, that I'm a better human being and I feel better about myself, I'm a better parent, I'm a better husband. Yeah. So guess what? My schedule has my gym in it. Yep. And my team has, they understand that. And so when people schedule a meeting, it's just happened today. You got a one o'clock meeting. I say, cool. Let them know I'm going to be there one ten because I'm going to the gym during my lunch break. I'm done at twelve forty-five. By the time I shower and get back to the office, it's going to be one ten. You got it. Now I know there's a piece of them going like, ah, it's just the gym. This is an important meeting. Well, guess what? I got an important life. <laughs> and if I don't show up at that <laughs> meeting, if, 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 if I don't show up at that meeting right, they want me at that meeting because they want me right at that meeting. Right. Anybody can show up to a one o'clock meeting, but not anybody can show up at, to that one o'clock meeting being filled with light and energy and creativity and gratitude and compassion and humor. And if I don't go to the gym, I'm not showing up with any of those things. Exactly. Now, it doesn't Nothing. mean that sometimes our plans don't change, but they do. So I would say intentionality. Develop that intention first to make a commitment to yourself and say, I, I want these things in my life. And then the next thing is, is about making a plan and actually prioritizing these things uh, because they are important. They're perceived oftentimes and in the scientific community, sometimes they used to be perceived as fluff. So when you talk about joy and love and creativity, it seems like fluff. It's actually not fluff. These are the best, best predictors of somebody being successful yeah. and, and, and making it in the world. And so, you know, make a plan and uh, don't put too much pressure on yourself. You don't got to change. You just got to, you know, you, you, you continue to work. You know, I always say about myself and others, you know, we're imperfect, but we try to get better every day and take, take, take little steps. Love it. Steve, thanks so much for your wisdom hey, thank you. and your insight today. Valuable valuable stuff and I awesome. appreciate all you're, you're doing to contribute to make life good brother well, awesome. I, I appreciate you guys and I will say one last thing that I always use an example of people we talk about changing I have to to I get to so when you say yeah. oh god I have to go to the dentist you get to say I get to go to the dentist That's and right. I use the dentist as an example because we, we often say as patients oh god I can't believe I have to go to the dentist and when you frame that to go no no, no I get to go to the dentist I get to have trained, skilled people stand over my mouth and take care of me so I can be healthy and I can eat, and that very few people in the world have access to this incredible privilege and luxury. 
And when you frame it that way and you think about the dentist as a blessing, um, it changes. <laughs> it doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you're not get, you know you're going to be whistling zippity doo dah when you when you head into the office, but it changes your mindset. And when you start to look at things differently, the things you look at become different. So I can see it. I, I can see what's going to happen today, Steve. Is everybody listening is going to walk into the office and the first patient they see, they're going to say, "I am a blessing in your life." Exactly, man. <laughs> And I you've can't been believe it. I'm so lucky, today. and I gotta make, I gotta make an appointment because my teeth. Yeah, I gotta do something. You gotta do it. Hey, Steve, again, thanks so much for your time today and uh, for thanks all your mind. insights. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. Hope have, to talk to have, you, Steve. You got it. Take care, man.